2: What's the holdup? Do you need me to spell it out for you? It's G-E-I-C-O.com. That's where you save money. Geico.com. Geico.com. <laughs>
1: Hey everybody, Eric Bischoff here, and have you heard about Strictly Business? Strictly Business is a brand new weekly series exclusively on adfreeshows.com. Join me and my co-host John Elba every Tuesday as we take a deep dive into the business of the professional wrestling business. And this is some straight up business talk here. No fanboy nonsense. We discuss television contracts, advertising, licensing, and, of course, the highly debated ratings. So if you want an unfiltered, brutally honest, anti-fanboy understanding of the professional wrestling industry, well, Strictly Business is the series for you. And hey, if Elon Musk likes my tweets, and he did, you're going to love Strictly Business. Sign up now. And listen at
0: adfreeshows.com.
2: You know, one question I often get asked is, how can I listen to ad-free shows? Well, the answer is simple. You plug directly into your normal podcast app, like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, and you do that through an RSS link. And then you just listen like you always would. Except no commercials. Here's something else you may not know. You not only get the shows early and ad-free, but you also get a ton of bonus content with adfreeshows.com. You also get early access to many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts, from William Regal's new show, to the Road dog Brian James, to Matt Hardy, and so much more, starting at just $9. So quick Scott Steiner math tells us that's less than 20 cents an episode each month. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling today. Check it out for yourself at adfreeshows.com. And if you're looking for the ultimate gift for the wrestling fan this Father's Day, you can now give the gift of ad-free shows. Head over to AdFreegift.com right now to purchase an ad-free show subscription to get over with someone special in your life this Father's Day. That's AdFreegift.com. it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric
1: Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, I'm, I'm doing great. Conrad, just doing great. And great to be here with you. I know you've had a busy weekend. I appreciate you putting in the time, brother.
2: Excited to be here. Wouldn't miss it. Of course, we're doing something totally different today. We never, ever have guests. But today, we're joined by the incredibly talented Mr. Bully
0: Ray. What's going on, man? How are you? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You never have guests?
2: No, we've never had a guest start to finish like this ever before.
0: Wow, I feel even more special than like when I got the original invite from Eric. Well, this is a big deal for me. I'm I'm happy. I'm <laughs> excited. This, is, this should be, if controversy creates cash, as a wise man once said, this should be one hell of a podcast.
2: <laughs> well, of course, everybody can hear you each and every week over on busted open. I know that's not just on SiriusXM; It's also a podcast as well. Tell everybody what your schedule is like over there these days.
0: Um, well, busted open is on uh, six days a week. We're live from 9 a.m. to noon. Uh, Monday through Saturday we cover everything in the world of pro wrestling probably a lot more current stuff that you guys would like to cover but we cover it all uh, I'm on Monday and Tuesdays with Dave LaGreca you got Dave and Tommy Dreamer on Wednesdays and Thursdays you got Dave and Mark Henry on Fridays and myself and Ryan McKinnell on Saturdays so No matter what's going on in the pro wrestling world, we're up to date on it. We talk about it. Uh, some good, some bad and some ugly, but, uh, we cover it all and we cover it honestly and fairly, just like Eric does.
2: Well said both Eric and I, I think a lot of busted open. Glad to hear you on there each and every week. And of course, we're going to be talking about a topic today. That's probably near and dear to both of you guys, hearts, aces and eights. Of course, as we're, uh, as folks are listening to this yesterday was the 20 year anniversary of TNA Eric, would you have ever imagined that this would be a sentence that we'd be 20 years into TNA It outlasted WCW for goodness sake.
1: Fucker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow. Wow.
1: What a shot.
0: What a shot. That's, that's high heat just to start the podcast off. Hey, hey, hey,
1: but if it means anything, I made more money in three years than TNA did in 20, so fuck it. Well, I guess <laughs> there's
2: that. Uh, of course we hope they had a very happy anniversary as it were, but we're talking about aces and eights and bully, I guess, from your perspective, is this one of those moment in time type storylines? I think most folks will take a look at this and say. Well, is this inspired by the success of the Sons of Anarchy TV show? What say you, Billy?
0: Uh, I would have to imagine that it was. I was never a fan of Sons of Anarchy. I never really watched it. I, I had just I had heard about it because it was so popular. So you know, the boys would be talking about it. Was out there in mainstream media. <clears throat> never into the whole biker scene. Not my thing. I, I know Eric was, and a lot of the guys like to ride. And I'll never forget where I was standing when Eric approached me uh, backstage at uh, TNA. We were, we were, you know, when we used to record at Universal. And me and Eric had to, had, had been establishing more of a relationship since he had taken over Creative. I was doing the bully thing, but I was doing my version of bully and not what was about to be uh, presented to me. And Eric said to me, we were standing by a trash can. And Eric said, "Did you ever see yourself as the leader of a motorcycle group?" Okay. And in my head, I'm like, "This is the worst fucking idea that's ever been told to me." I'm not into the motorcycle thing. I know nothing. Or just thoughts of like the Undertaker's motorcycle gang group, or any other motorcycle gang group that has ever been in pro wrestling comes to mind, and I'm like. No, this is not what I want to do. This is not my vision of Bully Ray. No, 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 no. But if the Booker is coming up to you with a plan, you know that he's pulling you on the side for a reason. So I was like, my, I think my exact line was, "If you think that's the best utilization of the character Bully Ray, I'm on board." And that's my recollection oh. of of how it happened. No,
1: well, no, that's so. F- it's so funny. And that's why I love doing this kind of thing, because I've said this before, man, we all have certain memories and and angles. Of, I mean, angles meaning perspectives. You know, we're looking at the same story, but you're looking at it from your point of view. I'm looking at it from my point of view. And every time we do this kind of thing, I learn something new and it's just it's just fun. Um yeah, I mean it, it was, you know, with, with bully, because bully's a strong personality. You know, I'll talk about I'll talk about you like you're not here, brother. Bully's a really strong personality. Um, but at the same time, he's pretty open-minded. So you've gotta you've gotta approach bully a certain way and get him to at least open the door. Because if you come at him wrong because he's a strong personality, this was my experience back then. If you don't get them to at least open that door a little bit, it, 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 whatever it is you're pitching isn't going to sink in. But if you could just get them to go, okay, I'll listen. Now you got some daylight to work with. And that's what happened. It's funny.
0: You know, coming up in the wrestling business, old school, you know that if the booker, the owner, the the promoter comes to you with an idea in mind, that means that they have a vision and they, they think you're one of the best people or, you know, at least in the group of decisions that that you know could portray this role so to say no would have never been a good idea you never like to say no so i looked at it as a challenge and uh it was a hell of an opportunity i think together you know myself and eric working together along with the rest of the guys i think we knocked it out of the park and it's some of the i'm it's it's a body of work that i am as proud of in my career as my tag team accomplishments
2: wow wow that's wow. a big deal So so, Eric, tell us about just the name aces and eights. Where does that come from? And and the whole idea, as we all kind of agree, probably loosely inspired by sons of anarchy, but the name aces and eights, can you talk us through that?
1: Well, it wasn't loosely inspired by, by, uh, sons of anarchy. It was directly inspired by sons. There's there's no tiptoeing around that. I stole that shit Uh, along with Jason Hervey, by the way, I wasn't, I didn't, it, it wasn't a single heist. It was a double heist. But um, aces and eights, um, you know, that's a dead man's hand. And that's what Doc Holliday was was holding when he got shot in the back of the head about 480 miles east of my house. Um, and that's, all, you know, that mythology, that Western mythology has always been something I've been interested in. And to be able to weave it into kind of a, at that point, relevant, modern way of telling a story in wrestling, I thought was pretty freaking cool.
2: If you're the type of person who's always thinking about new business ideas or wondering... What's the next side hustle I should spin up? Here's a podcast recommendation for you My First Million. The hosts, Sean Puri and Sam Parr, have each built eight figure businesses and sold them to Amazon and HubSpot. Each week, they brainstorm business ideas that you can start tomorrow. They can be side hustles that make you a few grand a month, a big billion dollar idea, or anything in between. One episode I loved was number 158. Where Sam and Shaw explained how to make millions by buying Michael Jordan's house and turning it into a museum. If you love any of our business content we do on the show, I think you'd love this episode. They also chat with founders, celebrities, and billionaires and get them to open up about business ideas they've never shared before. Like, check out their conversation with Rob Dierdeck in episode 224, where you're here about a guy who has built a $400 million media empire who's been tracking every second of his day for the last decade. Be sure to check out my first million. That's my first million on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say, Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a -a one-of-a-kind beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium, you can even customize the frame, and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com, and there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Totally agree. Uh, Let's talk about the creative of how we get started. You know, three mass wrestlers attack sting. Uh, when he's talking about his, um, induction into the TNA hall of fame. And eventually there's a a note left for Hulk Hogan. I had a photograph of the aces and eights playing cards, and it said something like, see you next week. We're not cowards. We've got something for you, Hogan. Wait and see. How are you rolling this out? Eric, you know, with the, uh, the mystery, is that part of Sarsa?
1: Yeah. I mean, I learned uh, on the job, you know, with, with, with a lot of ideas that sucked And and one in particular that didn't that engaging the audience by getting them to ask questions in wrestling is oftentimes a more powerful device than making statements. If you could get someone to go, okay, this is bullshit, but who who do you think those three guys are? I hate this idea, but who do you think they are? Again, just like bully, you're getting the audience to open up a little bit. If they're asking questions, they're open-minded because they're engaging. Then the challenge is how do you keep them stimulated? How do you give them enough to keep them interested, but not give them too much so that they go, oh, fuck, that's another one of those angles. But it was really, it was what I learned the hard way from failure and in a positive way from a little bit of success, that mystery and getting the audience to ask questions is one of the most powerful devices that you have on your wrestling palette,
2: and bully, I'm sure from your perspective, any questions you had about whether or not this would be a featured storyline when you wind up in consecutive weeks working with sting and Hulk Hogan, it feels like, okay, this is going to be a pretty big deal.
0: Here's the crazy thing. I never knew that I was going to be the president or the leader. This was a very, very, uh, well-kept secret. Oh. And at that time I was, you know, Eric had, Eric had asked the question, that question of me when the idea first happened, like I never thought it was going to be, I never knew it was going to be me. I didn't even know I was in the running for it, but because he had asked me like a year before the unveiling. And at the time I was an agent with TNA. So I'm actually in on all of the meetings, the creative. So I'm, I'm watching this entire storyline play out week after week, month after month and nobody in the room knows who the leader of the aces and eights yet was yet because eric and and jason hervey i think were just keeping it you know to themselves and maybe they had maybe they had another person in mind or, or three people in mind. I, I i don't know i just knew i was sitting there and i was in the as in the dark as everybody else and then one day hulk who was also in the meetings didn't understand something that was going on creatively at the time And he just sits back and he goes, well, who's the leader of this damn group anyway? And me and Eric used to sit next to each other in the meeting. And all I remember was Eric going like this. And he points right at me. And I was like, oh, damn, this is really going to happen. So. Um, you know, getting to work with Hulk and Sting was such a big deal for me because I had gotten to the point in my career. I mean, with tag team wrestling, there was no other tag teams really for me to in D-Von to work with where we could actually make money or learn from. We had become the, the top of the food chain. I'm not saying that with ego. It just, it, it it is what it is. It was what it was. And then I got to branch off into this singles world where I was, doing some cool stuff with other singles guys, but never guys that actually I had to work up to their level. They hadn't been around longer than me. They hadn't been smarter than me. They didn't understand psychology better than I did. They weren't, you know, they were higher. They were they were, they were Jedi Knights. They were Sith Lords as compared to what why, why I was. And then I get to work with Hulk and Sting. And this was, it was mind blowing for me because I was like, oh my God, Like, I get to work with legends, and every night I went out there, I went for the jugular on the both of them. Seriously, like, when I was doing promos with Hulk, I went for his jugular every night. If I was in the ring with Sting, I would smack him in the face and light him up because I wanted the Sting that I knew – When I was watching as a kid, I was going to do my best to bring the absolute best out of them because I wanted to tell the best stories. I wanted to have the best matches. I wanted to create the most memorable moments. So Eric handing me the ball and giving me the opportunities to work with a Hulk and a Sting and be involved with a a, a storyline that that took so long to unfold was you could hear the passion in my voice when I talk about it right now. I loved doing it. And Eric, you know, was very as hands on as he was. He was very hands off. He's like, it it was very much. You got this. Go, go do it. And Eric brought up a name before in Jason Hervey that I loved working with because Jason knew how to talk to me. And when I say know how to talk to me, he just talked to me like a normal dude. If he didn't think that I, something I said was a promo I did was good, he, go, he would tell me, "Listen, why don't you try it from this point of view? Why don't you try it if you were thinking in this manner?" And I was like, "Man, this is such a breath of fresh air! Somebody who's not afraid to talk to me, and also somebody who's going to get me to think differently than typical pro wrestler." So between Eric and Jason and Hulk and Sting, this was for for me it was it, it was a grand slam.
1: You know, bully. In that, yeah. Thank you so much for that. And I think, you know, Jason. I don't talk a lot about Jason, right? And and in this particular, this storyline, Jason had a lot of input and and contributed creatively a lot. But I think where where Jason really contributed, and what bully's talking about is Jason has he, Jason is a good director. When he when he was talking to bully about, okay, I know you said it that way, but. Say it this say it thinking about it from this angle instead of this angle. That's being a good director. And part of that is because Jason grew up from the time he was five years old learning how to take direction as a talent. Working with great directors on feature films and working with great directors on an Emmy Award-winning series on ABC, The Wonder Years. You're working at some points. He was working with some of the best writers and best directors in television. That 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 series is in the Smithsonian Institution, for crying out loud. And when you you find a talent like Jason was, who grew up as a talent, but is really interested in directing and producing, you have someone that can give talent, wrestling talent, a different way of thinking about things that makes a tremendous difference in, in their promos and in their characters, as it did with Bully. So let's talk about how you wanted to structure this, Eric, because
2: bully tells the story that you said, Hey, what do you think about, or did you ever see yourself being the leader of a motorcycle gang, but you never really exactly revealed he was going to be the leader. What was it about bully that made you think, well, right idea,
1: right guy. It's pretty obvious, strong personality, credible character, intimidating, knew he could cut the. Promo of all promos, given the opportunity and given material to work with always love bullies promos. You know, and there's, there's a reason Bully and I hit it off as well as we did. And I got to ask you: speaking of garbage cans, you said that I first uh, engaged you with the idea standing next to a garbage can at Universal Studios. I know this has nothing to do with aces and eights, but last week we did the ECW reunion, and for the last twenty some odd years, I've been telling the story that I came to you and said, "Bully, throw me in a in a in a dumpster out in an alley," and then I'm watching the replay, and lo and behold, you threw me on the bed of a of a semi truck. Was there not a dumpster in our conversation?
0: I think that no. I think that's what we were supposed to do: throw you on the back of the truck or something like that.
1: Jesus, oh man, I am getting old. Getting <laughs> the dumpster, <laughs> know, the dumpster man. would
0: have been a, a, a much better idea. But yeah, we were told to just throw. And you took, hey, credit to you, you took a great 3D that night. That was uh you did. Perfect business that night. What what a, what a memorable, uh, a memorable evening, memorable moments, and the electricity in that room uh, at one night stand was. I don't know. Uh, maybe one day we can bottle that
1: again. Hope so. But going back to aces and Ace, you know the storyline. It, it evolved. You know, it was not. It, it's not like we woke up, Jason. and I woke up one day and said, okay, here's here's a twenty five page story arc, and this is exactly how it's going to go. It was, okay, let's, let's work through this. Let's develop it slowly, do some stuff. That's kind of low risk, see how the audience reacts to it. And it was kind of work in progress until it got pretty finely tuned. And that's when we tagged in bully.
2: So talk to me about some other folks who really jumped off the page. It feels like pretty early on Luke Gallows was identified. Who else do you remember being, oh, well, this is an obvious choice. We need that guy.
1: I don't know that there were any obvious choices. Luke was just because, I mean, again, big, intimidating, wasn't really involved with anything that really mattered creatively, but had just so much talent. But he just was, God, what a fun guy to be around and contribute. Just contribute. Just contribute. Give him an idea. You know, he'll take it. Add to it. And that's the other thing that I think made it aces and eights work so well is it was a collaboration. It may have started out as the original idea of something that started with Jason and I, but it quickly became a team collaboration. Really.
2: Hey, y'all, did you go to geico.com yet? What's the hold up? You got a house, you got a car, you need to bundle them. You need to save. It's geico.com. Oh, Hey, real quick. I want to remind everybody and listen up wrestling fans. It's time to win with Zen. Get to wrestlingprizes.com right now to register for your chance to win One of four once-in-a-lifetime digital Q&A sessions with wrestling legends like the Nature Boy himself, Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff, the WWE Hall of Famer, maybe the voice of wrestling Jim Ross, or what about the hardcore legend Mick Foley? Winners will also get an autographed replica title belt and a prize pack from Zen. That's America's number one nicotine pouch. Register once per day now through July 15th at WrestlingPrizes.com. Here's a disclaimer for you. There's no purchase necessary to enter or win. It's open to U.S. residents 21 and over. Void where prohibited. For official rules, visit WrestlingPrizes.com. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp
0: you out speech. It opened so, up so
1: many more doors. The show
0: is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: Bully, well, talk to me about Divine. Obviously, you guys had been synonymous with uh, the Dudleys and Team 3D and other variations of the name. But now with this new, as Bruce would call it, paint of coat, What'd you think about the idea of involving your old tag team partner here?
0: I thought it was, it was an interesting idea. Devon was revealed um, m- much quickly, much sooner than I was. To be honest, I never got the Devon connection. I, I really didn't. Um, it was something that they came up with creatively. I think it was done more for a swerve. Like when, when Hulk unmasked mass Devon, it was supposed to get this reaction of like, Oh my God, we never saw that coming. But I think that we got the reaction of, Oh my God, we didn't see that coming. Um, I I don't think it was like, Eric, Eric, you tell me why, why Devon? Was there a, was there a a, a real reason? Was there a a, a storyline point or was it just to have Bubba and Devon together within this, uh, within this group?
1: No, in know, in the Sarsa formula, story, anticipation, reality, and surprise and action, Devon was a surprise. Devon was that, that whoa, didn't see that coming. Whoa, where's this going? He was that moment in, in terms of the way he was written into that story.
2: Well, it's interesting that we get started there. Uh, ultimately, we also see uh, Joseph Park end up unmasking an ACES and AIDS member during the fight between Bully and Devon, uh, and it's Luke Gallows, why was Gallows such a staple of this from seemingly day one, Eric?
1: I mean, if you're casting a movie right and you're looking for a certain type of character, he would be the first guy you'd pick. If you looked at the 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 roster in TNA and you were and you're using that roster to cast a movie, and the movie was about outlaw bikers, you you you'd get to Luke and you'd stop. Same with Bully; they just had the right physical presence. It's intimidation, you know, not everybody had to be as big as bully or or Luke, but you needed that muscle. You needed that size that made that team fucking scary in an alley. Like, yeah, I got a gun, but I've only got six rounds. Fuck, (laughs) you know, you need that. It needs to be frightening in a way, believably frightening and intimidating.
2: Bully. When folks talk about uh, Luke Gallows, I feel like they more often than not talk about the good brothers but what do you think of this aces and eights presentation for Mr. Gallows?
0: I liked everybody involved in the aces and eights. I really did. I thought it looked like a strong crew of guys, everybody, uh, Wes Garrett, D'Lo, Mike Knox, um, doc Devon, Ken Anderson. I think Ken Anderson was probably the most underrated guy in the aces and eights. Yep. Ken brought a lot to the table. And when Eric, I don't know the whole story, but when when Eric had left taking time away or whatever happened with new management in TNA, this is where the the aces and eights started to die. And I did whatever I could to keep it alive, the story alive, the way I knew it had been was being told. And Ken was the guy that I was able to keep it alive with. And Mm -hmm. it became this this thing with me and Ken where we knew there was so much left in the tank and uh, we were able to do some really great business together until he eventually beat me, you know, took off my cut, my vest and the aces and eights died. I never thought the aces and eights should have died. The, the the storytelling was going so well, but the new, whoever was new and creative did not see this, have the same vision that Eric does and, More often than not in the world, the wonderful world of pro wrestling, if it's not somebody's idea, they don't like to stick with it and continue to run with it. And I knew that. But I was in the middle because I was the guy that was handed the golden goose of this storyline. Eric is now gone. The new guy who's in charge of creative didn't want to do it anymore. But I had to try to keep it alive. And we did our best to keep it alive. And if I didn't have Ken there with me, I don't think I could have kept it alive. As long, because like I said, Ken, very underrated, became became the baby face of the group who finally stood up to bully Ray and defeated him.
1: You know, you you bring up a good point, Bully. Ken is I think he's underrated in general. Um, He had so much potential. And I think, you know, Ken, Ken was a victim in some respects of his own ability to do a pretty good job at just about any character. You know, he wasn't afraid to try anything. And as a result, he got probably put into a lot of different characters. And I'm sure he had fun with a lot of them. But I think what made Ken a little different in Aces and Eights was, you know, Ken really wanted to act. He really, he studied acting. He really, really wanted a shot at, at being a performer beyond just what he was able to do in, in a ring, whether it was WWE or anywhere else. And I think the Aces and Eights was an opportunity for him to do what he did so well in the ring, but also... Scratch that acting itch a little bit more and and stretch his character in a way that up until that point, he never really had an opportunity to.
2: So let's talk about, um, you know, the, the, the Brooke Hogan angle. This is one that jumps out bully. What do you remember hearing about this idea when it's first pitched to you that you're going to be Hulk Hogan's son-in-law?
0: It wasn't pitched to me. <laughs> it, me and Jason Hervey came up with it.
2: Oh, really? Well, take us through that. How does that we come came? To me? We
0: came up with it at the Hard Rock Hotel in Orlando, Florida, at the bar, and we were just talking about how what if you know if Bully Ray had um, um, a one of the one uh, a member of the Knockouts and uh, we're coming up with all these ideas, and I think Jason had uh, suggested well, since Hulk is involved, what if it's Brooke? Now you have that story of, you know, the the girl who likes the bad boy and daddy doesn't approve, and that just came together overnight it just worked out perfectly because now here's bully Ray, this heel of all heels within the aces and eights trying to destroy people's lives. Not only did I get to take down, you know, Hulk Hogan, I got to take down his best friend and sting. And I also got to take down his daughter in Brooke Hogan. So it's like, here's this guy destroying so many people's lives. And what we were at least what I thought we were building to. And Eric, I don't even know if you, you know, this, you probably do, but I think we were trying to get to Hulk versus bully because I know the, me I, and Hulk talked about it.
1: Yeah, no, the, 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 desire was definitely there. And we were working towards that because every week, you know, one week could be brother. I think I can pull this off mm-hmm. and the next week would be brother. I don't know. I don't know. We. I don't know if we can make this happen. But it was literally on again, off again with him. And not because he didn't want to, or he lost heart in the idea is just because he was, you know, the injuries and the issues that he was dealing with, but he wanted that so bad. And we were definitely working towards that
2: guys, I just love talking about athletic greens. It has really helped me. It's changed my life. My wife is using it before they were a sponsor. Now, Mrs. B and Mr. B, everybody's using AG one and everybody has different reasons for wanting to use it. Maybe you want better gut health. Maybe you need more energy. Maybe you just want to optimize your immune system. So you don't get sick. Maybe you just hate taking pills or vitamins. As for me, I wanted a supplement that tastes great and I wanted to see what all the hype was about. My wife has been swearing by this for a while. She uses one delicious scoop of AG1 every morning in a cup of water. That's it. And she's instantly absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And I mean for all the things gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging. AG1 is a game changer and it checks all the boxes. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you're eating keto or paleo or vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free, it's got less than one gram of sugar. You can't beat that. There's no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals. There's no artificial anything. And it still tastes good, but it helps you support mental clarity and alertness. It helps you sleep better. It helps you recover faster. We look at it as almost like an all-in-one nutritional insurance. I don't want to get sick, and I want to live longer. Athletic Greens makes me feel better. It'll do it for you, too. Athletic greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. We feel good about it. You will too. And right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Did you forget yet? Come on, geico.com.
0: Eric, I don't know if you know this, but he actually pulled me in a room one day and he sat me down and he said, all right, listen, here's how we're going to do the match. He actually laid the match out to me. He says, I got five or six minutes in me. He goes, as soon as I come underneath the bottom rope, you get right on me. He, 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 until it's time for me to come up and I'll just blow the comeback and, you know, hit you with the big boot. And because Hulk was who, Hulk is who he is, but at that time, people felt a lot of sympathy for Hulk because of what I was doing to him and his family. I had all the heat in the world. We could have pulled off a typical five-minute Hulk Hogan special and had the place going crazy because the characters were, were exactly where they needed to be. And since I had already screwed over Sting and screwed over Brooke and screwed over Hulk and just about the whole company, it would have been amazing business. So yeah, we had even spoke about the match, and I I, I wish it could have happened, but
1: whatever. You know what's you know what's interesting about that. Bully and Conrad is as you're laying that out. And I didn't know that by the way. So thank you for sharing that. But as you're laying that thing out, I'm picturing it. It's an easy one to picture. It's paint by numbers, Hulk Hogan, right. But in a very short form and with anybody else in any other story, I think the audience would have gagged on that five minute match with that finish. But because you had so much heat and because of the, the quality of the story, they would have actually popped huge for him because you had done such a great job and they bought it. They were, they suspended disbelief enough that they, they really wanted to see that. And it would have been awesome. Thank you.
2: So Eric, uh, how receptive was Hulk to involving Brooke in the storyline? And was she ready for that? Was she excited about it?
1: That was a little, don't get me wrong. I don't want to give you the impression. It was a tough sell. It was not a tough sell. But it was a tough situation to manage on a day to day basis. Now keep in mind, um, Hulk had been through a lot—family, kids, issues, inter-family inter- relationships—and typically, having your kids around you in the wrestling business is sometimes tricky. Right? The audience is automatically going to—you know—they're going to be tough on a somebody's kid that comes into the business. Yeah. Just automatically, right? You don't want that for your kids. I didn't want it for Garrett. That's why I tried talking about it getting into the wrestling business, because I knew it was going to happen. Hulk felt that same way. He didn't want his daughter getting criticized on social media. He didn't want her taking abuse just because she was his daughter. On the one hand. On the other hand, he's excited to give his daughter an opportunity, And, and she was excited about doing that. So he's constantly kind of yeah, I can't wait to do this because this is going to be fun. But, oh, my God, my daughter's going to take a lot of abuse online because of me. So that's a conflict right there. Um, and then you got, you know, other influences within the family that could become an issue. So it was a little tricky on a personal level. But at the same time, he was so – she was excited about Tawiga. Rook doesn't get – she's another one we're talking about. As a performer, Not as a wrestler inside the ring, she never really got that opportunity or really trained for that opportunity. But as an on-camera personality, she did some great work with Bully. I mean, there's some believable shit going on there. So much so that I, you know, I was kind of wondering myself what was going on between Bully. And
2: Bully. Oh my, listen to you.
1: Good stuff there, brother.
2: <laughs> you got to watch the video of this one, boys and girls. So Eric, tell me about, um, wrestling weddings in general. You've been a part of some pretty big moments in that regard. What do you think about wrestling
1: weddings? I think they can be spectacular because now the audience is right. You don't even have to do much to build anticipation. All you have to do is announce it because more often than not, they kind of over deliver. I mean, there's been some spectacular, you know, wrestling weddings. There hasn't been too many duds really.
2: Right. So bully uh, another guy who's going to join the group Taz uh, I don't think a lot of people maybe saw that coming, but it does start to feel like, hey, is this more of an ECW style group? What'd you think of Taz jumping in, Bully?
0: I liked having Taz. On one hand, I liked having Taz a part of the group, but on the other hand, I didn't like it. Because you can never get your heat back on Taz. Taz was never allowed to get in the ring. Taz couldn't do anything physically. So he could get all of this verbal heat on himself on the group. He could say whatever he wanted, but he was never going to get his comeuppance. Nobody was ever going to be able to, like, he's the one who ruined the wedding, you know? We don't find out until much later on that this was all part of the plan, but nobody was ever able to get their hands on Taz. Every other member of the Aces and Eights got what was coming to them, including me at the end. Taz never got what was coming to him, so as a heel, I don't think that you should ever be in a position to ever be able to one-up a baby face. You always have to have your day in court. The bad guy always has to lose, in in, in my opinion, and, and Taz could never lose in this situation. I thought he brought a lot to the table. I thought he was a good surprise, just like Devon was. I just, I just knew in my own head we're never going to be able to get back at Taz, so it's just going to be a piling on of heat that – you know, but but in the end, it worked. Everybody served a purpose in the aces and eights. And and I really thought that it was a, a, a well-rounded group. And, I and I, you know, one of the things, Conrad, that I always kept in the back of my mind is there can always be resentment in pro wrestling. It's like, oh, why did they pick this guy? Or why this guy? Or Bubba politic to be the leader of the aces and eights. The last thing Bubba politic for was to be the leader of aces and eights because I thought the idea sucked to begin with. To be quite honest with you. Um, So I was really I really try to keep in mind that we were a group of guys just like a motorcycle club would be. They uh, the the boys elect the president because they love and respected him. And that's how I wanted those guys to feel about me, because that's how I felt about them. I didn't want them to look at me like, oh, he's getting this push. And we're just along for his ride. It's no, guys, we're getting the push and we all have equal, you know, equal parts to play in this story. So let's all do it together. I, I was really conscious about that because I didn't want anybody to feel like, um, like I, I was better than them because I knew the spotlight was being thrust onto me.
2: So Eric, if we're going to talk about aces and eights, we've got to at least draw the parallel to so the other group you're synonymous with the NWO. Did you learn any lessons from doing the NWO that you tried to apply here to aces and eights?
1: Sure. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, you know, anticipation to me. I've said it before on this podcast a million times, and I'll say it another million before I'm done with this stuff. Um, you have to learn, you know, building anticipation in your audience is an arc. You know, you, you, you want to build it over time. You want it to intensify every week. You want to create that chatter, getting people to ask questions, talk about it, especially in today's environment online. But you can't drag it out too long or you'll bore them. So it it, it really is an art. But building anticipation was something, Honest, I'll be bullshitting you guys or in everybody else if I said otherwise. A lot of what worked in NWA or NWO, I should say, sorry, um, I, I learned on the job and some of it, I just got lucky with, yeah. you know, it wasn't all by design. Some of it was, and some of the stuff that that was by design allowed me to really understand how important certain elements of storytelling are, but it's not like I went into it with all that. I was literally learning how to, you know, make a clay pot as I'm sitting at the potter's wheel. But once I did, then it was, then the challenge is how do I, how do I harness those elements, those beats, that psychology, but wrap it in something else that doesn't look just like the NWO. And it was just a matter of identifying the elements and figuring out a newer way to present them. So it didn't feel exactly the same, which I think is probably true at nine 99% of the stories that we see in wrestling. There's fucking nothing new going on folks. It's all been done before. But the magic is when you can figure out a different way to wrap that story up, wrap that angle up so that it doesn't feel familiar or as familiar.
2: Hey, did you go to Geico yet? Get a quick quote. See how much you can save for free at geico.com managers love talking about chili sleep. As you know, by now I've been rocking the chili sleep for quite a while. In fact, I was out of town. I went to both Charlotte and then to the Bahamas. The chili sleep went both places. I'm not kidding around, man. I never sleep better than when I have the chili sleep. I know I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I'm not going to be up and down. I'm not going to be tossing and turning. I'm not going to be fighting with the covers. Seriously, chili sleep got rid of all of that. What I'm talking about is almost like a smart thermostat for your bed. All right. You see, chili sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions, and they've helped me improve my entire well-being. I have the Uler. They also make the cube sleep system either way, the both hydropower temperature controlled mattress toppers. Let me explain. This fits over your existing mattress, but it provides you your ideal sleep temperature. Whether you sleep hot or cold, you're going to get the perfect temperature. Chilly sleep is designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Real quick, imagine waking up and not feeling tired. That's been my experience prior to Chili Sleep, maybe five, six hours. Now, it's not uncommon to go seven, eight, nine hours. I feel so much more productive. Chili Sleep has changed my life. But don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. Head over to chillysleepcom forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new Cube or Uller Sleep System. Now, this offer is available exclusively for 83 Weeks listeners. It's only for a limited time. That's chilly. C H I L I sleep.com slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. That's chilly forward slash 83 weeks.
0: I have no problem with people ripping stuff off and make, but you have to make it your own. You can't just blatantly plagiarize it. You have to, if you want to borrow, that's great because we all borrow from everywhere. Listen, in music, musicians borrow riffs from other songs and they just kind of play with them, work with it, turn them around. There's nothing wrong with doing that in wrestling. I've been borrowing from others, my entire career, just putting my spin on it. Um, It's like, the version of Bully Ray, the heel. I just went with whatever. What would Freddie Blassie do? What would the Sheik do? How would they get heat in this situation? How would they just keep it simple yet uh, uh, just um, elicit the the emotion of pure hatred? How would they have looked at it? And, and that's how I would look at it. So borrowing in this business happens all the time and I've never had a problem with it. So Eric, let's talk
2: about ratings for a minute. Uh, ACEs and AIDS debuted on June 12th and impact had 1.25 million viewers on that show. Uh, six months later or so, February, 2013 impact had 1.35 million. So we're up a hundred thousand viewers. Did you think that, that it was a ratings draw, Eric, it was worth pursuing. What was the feedback you were getting? Uh, say the first six or eight months
1: into the angle. I didn't pay attention to ratings at all on TNA. I mean, I I paid attention to them. That was the wrong way to say it. I did pay attention to them, but I didn't allow ratings or lack thereof to influence how I felt about something creatively. And by that, I mean, TNA was TNA. They didn't do the things necessary to grow the audience. They didn't promote outside of their show. They didn't. They didn't want to make the financial commitment to tour and to do the big spectacle live events, which is necessary when you have a television property. It's one of the reasons I think, not the reason, but one of the reason AEW was able to be so successful out of the gate was because of the investment they put into the live shows that, that essentially launched the all in event. I think is the one that launched before they even had television. They established AEW and then television followed. But you've got to have that credibility with a live arena audience and, and get that emotion from that crowd. And TNA didn't want to do that. They didn't have the commitment. Couldn't do it, wouldn't do it, whatever the reason was. So I, I never allowed a soundstage audience or the lack of ratings to try to dictate to me what was a good idea and a bad idea because it's not a true barometer. It's such. It was such an artificial environment, meaning shooting in front of a soundstage, and as a result, you don't get the buy in from the general television audience because it doesn't feel special. The show didn't, it lacked credibility, not because of lack of talent, lack of story, lack of production, not because of that, but because of lack of staging, lack of an audience, lack of four, five, 10,000 people reinforcing to the television audience that this really is good shit. But when you don't have five, four, three, two thousand people reacting naturally to what they're seeing, the per- the people at home are going, whoa I feel stupid watching this. Why am I watching this?
0: Unfortunately, we would have 500 people on a soundstage. Two hundred and fifty of them thought they were there to ride the teacups. Wow. It Didn't do us any good.
1: You know, any other any other two fifty wanted to take over the show. <laughs> this is awesome. So, you know, well, you, you've
2: been working in front of some odd crowds over the years, you know, those old ECW crowds in New York or Philadelphia. And of course you've worked everything in between, including stadiums for WWE at WrestleMania and such. Was it a challenge for you as someone in the ring trying to
0: elicit that feedback from a, a different environment? Sure. It was a challenge. Everything is a challenge when, when you're when a, in a situation like that. But my job is from the minute I go through the curtain, let's say that all let's say there was 500 people on the soundstage, 250 of them knew who exactly who I was. So I was going to get the reaction out of them that I wanted. Those other 250 people would see how the original 250 people were reacting. So they're going to follow the leader. So I already got that built in. I know the sheep are going to follow the sheep. Now it's up to me to go out there and do what I do, which is make people invest in me. Look at them a certain way, speak in a certain way, certain tone, certain inflection. I need to command their attention just like that from the minute I go through the curtain. Now, those 250 people who don't know me the minute I come through the curtain should know me by the minute or should be interested enough to know me the minute I step foot in that ring. And then when I say what I have to say or do what I have to do, I should have them. By the end of the segment, all 500 people should be on the same page and hating me more In that moment in time, than when I came through the curtain and that was the way I looked at the challenge every time I went out there, because if I could get those 250 people who didn't know who the hell I was to emotionally invest in me, they might want to come back next time, or they might want to go watch me on TV, or they might want to buy a ticket to see me get my ass kicked. And that's how I looked at it.
1: Did it work though? I mean, I mean, and that's, I mean, I've always said, you know, you're a pros pro And I wouldn't expect you to look at it any other way. But how many times did you walk back and, God damn, I wish I could have done that in front of 5,000 people.
0: But here's the, uh, you're absolutely right, Eric, knowing that, oh, my God, if there were people here, that would have been amazing. One of the benefits that I had, and if I have my timeline correct here, when I defeated Jeff Hardy in the cage in lockdown in San Antonio, we started to take the show on the road right after that. Mm -hmm. So I did have a couple of thousand people every night to be in front of. And I think that when Bully won that championship uh, the first time, I-, I think we were able to to capture some energy with those audiences. And I think that translated well on television. And at, at least I knew I had the best opportunity to succeed in those in-, in those settings.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Your timeline is right on the money because th- there was a stretch. I think it only lasted maybe five or six weeks. You know, Spike was excited. They they threw they threw some chips under the, the table. You know, they knew that taking the show on the road and having that legitimate vibe and that arena feel in front of a legitimate audience instead of a studio audience, they knew that that, would, that that was part of the equation and part of the answer long-term. TNA knew it. They just didn't want to pay for it. And I think, unfortunately, and this is why oftentimes when I talk about TNA, there's a tone of kind of resentment in my voice. And it's not because of the people necessarily it's because of the lost opportunity as I've said a million times there was a moment in time because of, uh, in not solely because of the Aces and Ace but at this particular time there was a pretty good energy in TNA at that point. we we were on we were a little in a little bit of a storytelling groove and there was some cohesiveness to the direction that we were going and we were taking the show on the road but unfortunately, the people making the decisions in TNA, and it wasn't Dixie Carter, by the way, um, the people making the financial decisions expected that they were going to see a turnaround in, oh, I don't know, two weeks. Oh, okay, we're going to take the show on the world. Eric says take the show on the road, and ratings will come up. Okay, let's give that a try. We'll, we'll, we'll spend an extra $50,000 next week, and we'll do that. And when the ratings didn't double overnight, it was like, oh, see, that was a bad idea. I mean, that was really the mentality that – unfortunately existed at the time.
2: Hey, go to gaco.com. Pass it on. So by now you've realized that somehow Eric Bischoff is holding back the hands of time. Yeah, he's a silver Fox now, but boy, is he in good shape. And a lot of that is because he and his wife have always been on the cutting edge of knowing how to take care of themselves. And one of the things that Eric and I have both learned about from Mrs. B is basis by Elysium health. It's the most trusted source for NAD supplementation, and their product basis is clinically proven to increase levels of NAD Plus by 40%, both safely and sustainably. You see, Elysium's products target aging at its source. They really are unlike any other company the Bischoff's have seen, and they're at the forefront now of NAD Plus supplementation. I want to mention this. These folks have dozens of the world's best scientists. In fact, eight of them are Nobel Prize winners. And NAD plus is something that I wasn't super familiar with, but check this out. It's found in every single cell of your body. It's responsible for creating energy and regulating hundreds of different cell functions, but your NAD plus levels actually decline as you age. Things like lack of sleep or intense exercise or an unbalanced diet, even sun overexposure can also deplete your NAD plus levels. So here's the deal. These decreased NAD Plus levels, they're linked to faster biological aging. Man, they can even slow down your vital body functions. But Basis helps you replenish those youthful levels of NAD Plus to promote healthy aging. It's going to support cellular energy and metabolism. It'll reduce your general tiredness to keep you feeling good for longer. And many Basis customers even report that they have higher energy, less fatigue, and even more satisfying workouts. I should mention that Basis is third-party tested by both independent labs, both during and after manufacturer. They're going to check for things like purity and quality. It's always independently verified as NSF certified for sports. And this is a life hack for you. It's going to support energy and metabolism on the cellular level. It's going to support you in recovery from your workouts. It's going to reduce your general tiredness and fatigue. It's going to promote healthy skin. And more importantly, it's going to activate those longevity genes to promote healthy aging. So try basis at trybasiscom slash 83 weeks and enter the code 83 weeks at checkout. And you'll save 10% off basis prepaid plans, as well as other Elysium health supplements. That's Tribasis.com slash 83 weeks and use that promo code 83 weeks at checkout to save 10%. And we thank Elysium health for sponsoring this episode. So Eric, let's talk about a couple other members that are going to join. Uh, Kurt angle has your son Garrett and Wes Briscoe backing him up, but all of a sudden it's revealed they're ACEs and AIDS members. Uh, were you worried about the, the young folks here in the group taking any shit just because of their last name? Sure. Of
1: course. I mean, like I said, I I tried talking Garrett out of going to wrestling school and training with Rikishi and, and, and everything else, because I knew he would take shit, but you know, I I tried to talk him out of it he was committed and he understood. I knew that he understood. It wasn't like he went into it, you know, blindfolded and was surprised that he got heat because his last name was Bischoff. Same with Wes, you know, Wes is a tough kid. Um, so I expected it. I, I anticipated it, but I wasn't worried about it. Because they both they both earned it. You know, Garrett worked hard, he earned it. You know, I made him spend however long I made him spend as a freaking referee. Because yeah, he'd been through Rikishi school, he trained with Brian knobs. he trained with Hulk, he'd spent some he trained with a bunch of people. Um, but I also wanted him in the ring seeing what goes on from the perspective of a referee before he started becoming a character. So he earned it and so did Wes. So I'm aware of it. Yes. Worried about it. No.
2: Talk to me about D Brown at the time. He's a TNA official and it's going to come out that he too is a member of aces and eights. Is this a little too much like the NWO or or why did this make sense for D here, Eric? Different than, um,
1: Lo, while well, even at that time he was probably in the ring performances the best of them were behind him at the same time he was still really good and he was intimidating he's another guy I mean this is you get bully and and Delo standing next to each other and I don't care who you are you got you got a world problem on your hands, and I wanted that intimidation figure. Look, that whole, the whole idea of you know the, the derivative of the uh, Sons of Anarchy group and that gang is they're fucking dangerous. So you've got to have dangerous-looking people in it, and he will fit the bill.
2: Of course, eventually, you know the big payoff is bullies revealed as the ace is an eighth president bully of your entire impact run, where does that moment rank for you? Probably number one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to understand something, guys. I never got into this business to be a single star. I wanted to be a tag team wrestler since the first day I saw Gurria and Martel, since the first day I saw the Wild Samoans, since the first day I saw the Strongbows, since the first day I saw Fuji and Saito. I never wanted to be a singles guy. Steve Austin always said, if you're not in this business to be the, you know, the, the you know, WWE World Heavyweight Champion, you don't belong in the business. Well, my thing was, if you're not in this business to be the WWE World Tag Team Champion, you're, you're in the wrong business. To me, tag team wrestling <clears throat> was the be all and end it all. I knew at 10 years old, I want to be a tag team wrestler because four guys could be more entertaining than two in my mind. Me and Devon get to TNA, I kind of felt like Alexander the Great after a while. I looked over I looked over all of our lands and realized there's no more lands left to conquer. And I wept, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, there was legit, Conrad, nothing left to do. Yeah. Zero. So what are we going to do? Retire? Hang them up? No. And Devon always had the itch to do the singles thing. And I said, here's your chance. Go ahead. Go do what you got to do. But I'm going to go do what I got to do. And I looked at it as a challenge and it worked. I think the, the, I, I, the, the night that uh, I think opened Eric's eyes to me, if they hadn't been fully opened is the night that Jeff Hardy could not perform against sting. And Eric, I don't even know if you remember this story sting and, 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 Jeff, we in the ring. I think you had even gone down there to try to fix the, the situation. Right. Didn't you go down there to the ring? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I, yeah. But yeah. right before you went to the ring, I re- I remember you being there at Gorilla and everybody's like, what do we do? What do we do? And Eric, I said, let me go out there. And you're like, what are you going to do? I said, I'll attack sting and I'll pull out a table but I'll have Sting turn it around and put me through the table so at least the people go home happy and we create enough smoke and mirrors that people won't realize what's happening with Jeff and we can just get him out of there. And you you were thinking about it and you were thinking about it and you were thinking about it and then you're like no I'm just going to go out there but then the next day you pulled me on the side and you're like hey man thanks thanks for you know being willing to go out there and you know help you know save the show so to speak. And um I think that's when your you know your wheel started you know to turn on me also. So to 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 see what that night was like leading up to the reveal uh you know in San Antonio in lockdown which I'm proud because it's it was TNA's biggest house ever Conrad. Yeah. You know, listen, they did did 7,000 people paid. Okay, is that 70,000 people like WrestleMania? No, but it's still the biggest house paid in the history of TNA in the United States. And I was in the main event against Jeff Hardy, and it's because of the great storytelling that happened up until that moment. And when great storytelling and great characters come together, this is what you get. So it was impossible, you know, for me not to be proud or have it as probably my number one moment in TNA.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Who's going to take care of your family. If something happens to you, what would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to goliathlife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms, you're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to goliathlife.com. You know, obviously you, you related out pretty plainly that you really just wanted to be a tag wrestler, but now that you enjoy this single success as the world champion, as the the lead heel, uh, was it exceeding your expectations?
0: I, I was having a blast. I really was. I was having a blast because I never thought that I would do it. It was much different. It forced me to think differently, um, which was a nice new challenge. It forced me to, to think for other individuals that I never normally thought about. Um, most of my career, it was just about me and Devon. You know, how, how do I keep us at 50-50? Now I'm like, how do I keep this whole group together as one strong unit? I didn't want it to be, you know – Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. I wanted us to be the aces and eights. I didn't want this to be Bully Ray yeah. and the aces and eights. I wanted it to always be the aces and eights, knowing full well that if I wanted to, Conrad, and if I wanted to hit the gas as hard as I want, you know, could, I could have very well just pulled away. But that wasn't what the story. That that's not what it was all about. It was about us. So uh, I I, I, enj- I enjoyed from day one up until the last day. So the only, and, and there was only one night that me and Eric disagreed. Let's hear and about we it. We actually argued about it. Do you remember, do you remember? Eric? Which one? I, it I, was? Do, I don't remember, but I'm anxious to hear it. We argued. Uh, here's another me, you, and sting actually argued. Oh, good. This will be great. You wanted me and sting to have a no holds barred match. Does that shake your memory at all? Uh-uh. Okay. So we're in the we're 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 backstage, and we're talking about a promo that we're going to do. And you want me to and you want me to hit in the promo that we're building up to a no holds barred match. And the number one match that I hate more, the number one stipulation I hate more than any other match is a no holds barred match. Why? You tell me what holds are barred in pro wrestling.
2: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, you with all your logic. All right.
0: So, sorry. <laughs> So back in the day, if you threw somebody over the top rope or the sleeper hold or the claw was barred, yes. Then you have a no holds barred, match. so I just despise no holds barred. I'm like, and even Sting wasn't like it. I'm like, Eric, I think we should call it something else. No, no, have a no holds barred match. Yeah, but Eric, no holds barred. It doesn't matter. We do it all the time in pro wrestling. Just have a no holds barred match, Eric. I hate it. I don't give a shit what you hate. I'm the Booker. Fuck you, Booker. I hate no holds barred. Like we started to go at it, you know. But that's what he wanted. We called it a no holds barred match, and it, you know it wound up working. And you know it was one of my favorite matches with Sting. Um, but yeah. That's the only time me and Eric didn't see eye to eye.
1: But here's the thing. And this is, you know, Kevin Nash is another guy that I would go round and round with, you know, I mean, there were times I thought for sure my life, I saw my life pass before my eyes with Kevin because it would just elevate, you know, and and I've never been able to shut my fucking mouth when I should sometimes (laughs) and and say with bully, but it's when you get, you know, you fight, you fight, you fight, you fight. And sometimes that's how you get to the best ideas. But even if you don't, you develop a certain amount of respect for people that push hard for what they believe in and why they believe in it. And you may not agree with it that time, but next time you're going to go into a conversation, you're going to go into that conversation with a little different perspective.
0: And 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 I, and I appreciate that answer so much because that's the kind of businessmen we were. I never took that personally, or we never took that personally, but it would be, it would have been very easy for you in that moment to say, oh, Bubba is difficult to deal with. And I could have been like, oh, here's the Eric everybody always told me about. Eric's difficult to get. We didn't look at it that way at all. I was passionate about my point of view. He was passionate about his point of view. He thought he was right. I thought he was right. We discussed, we argued, it ended, and nobody thought differently of each other. Nope. And that's why I hate that term difficult. I mean, that's that's a term that's followed me around. Oh, he, Conrad, he's difficult to deal with. I'm not difficult to deal with. I just want to dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure everything makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to look you in the eye in a polite, respectful way. And I'm going to tell you why I don't think it makes sense. And if we have to sit here for a half an hour and discuss it, let's discuss it because it's in the best interest of business.
1: And that's, that's what's lacking so much now. And I shouldn't say that because I'm not backstage now, so I'll retract that. But what I feel sometimes is that there are not enough people that believe enough in what they're doing that, that are surrounded by people that will argue with them and push them and make the idea better. I see a lot of stuff that makes me think they're just slapping this stuff together or it's just getting rubber-stamped. Not seeing magic like I've seen in the past. I Maybe believe, believe we we're, we're very this much in a yes man,
0: a yes man era in pro wrestling.
1: You believe we are in that? Absolutely. Now oh, good. I not good, but at least I don't feel quite as bad. Why do you say that, bully?
0: <laughs> Isn't it obvious? You tell me you're around wrestling business. You don't think we're in a yes man business?
2: I'm just asking why you think that.
0: Don't ride the fence, Conrad.
2: Well, I mean, I certainly think that, you know, we've seen folks go home from shows in the last month uh, and say, I'm not coming to work anymore. So I don't know that it's necessarily a yes man business. I think there are yes, men, but I think that's in every industry, right?
0: There's a lot of yes people in this industry and taking your bat and ball and going home has never been okay. In my book, never. I, I just look at that as unprofessional. There's always something that can be done and worked out. But I do believe that we have a lot of yes, men. I think we have a lot of people in positions of power who like to be told that their idea is the best or people are fearful to speak up.
2: Well, there you go. I think that's different, but I hear you.
1: What say you, Eric? I said it early on. I, I think the, the proof is in what we see. We're not seeing really great ideas percolate to the top. And that's, that's the product of a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a bully or a Hulk Hogan or a Ric Flair or whoever it is fighting for their character and wanting to make sure that if they're going to do something, it's really well thought out and it's going somewhere or it has a specific goal. My perspective, but again, I'm not backstage anywhere. I don't know anybody anymore. I don't talk to anybody backstage. It's not my world anymore. I know what I see. And what I see is path of least resistance more often than not. I don't see greatness when it comes to storytelling. And that doesn't mean there's not some good stuff out there occasionally, but I'm not seeing anything that makes me go. Holy shit. The last thing that I thought was going to make me go. Holy shit was MJF. And right now I'm not so sure if that's even real. If it is, I'm going to be like the biggest fan in the world. If it's part of a story, but if but I said they're wrong, but if it's real and it's a shoot, and it's just not going anywhere. Fuck really disappointed, but other than that, what am I seeing? That makes me go Shit! I know, I know I'm supposed to talk to Conrad at, you know, eight o'clock on Monday night, but I'm going to ask him if I can do it Tuesday. Cause I want to watch Raw instead. Ain't happening.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know how we got talking about uh, current stuff today, Eric, but since you brought it up and we got down the road a little bit, the biggest news in modern wrestling history happened this past week. And I'm dying to hear your take. And I think everybody else is too. They've waited an hour to hear it. What was your reaction when you heard that Vince McMahon was no longer the CEO of WWE?
1: No, I was you know, dumbfounded, shocked. I, I don't know any other way to, I can't, can't imagine anybody felt any differently. You know, it's a day that I never thought, even if, even though it appears to be very temporary, it's not a permanent situation. At least that's not the way it's been presented or the way I've read it. Um, but nonetheless, it's a, big damn deal. And it did shock me. Um, I I feel bad for a lot of people. You know, I still have a lot of friends in WWE that I do care about a lot. And it's going to, regardless of how this ends up, it's going to adversely affect a lot of people. And how do you feel anything other than bad for people that you know and have affection for that are having to go through this? I feel bad for Bruce. I sent Bruce a text Friday night during the show going, brother, what a hell of a ride, <laughs> you know, I mean, to be sitting in that seat, to be there and in the eye of that fucking hurricane, I, uh, man, I feel for a lot of people.
2: Let me spell it for you. G E I C O.com. That's Geico.com. What about you Billy? Could you imagine there would ever be a day where we heard that Vince wasn't the CEO of WWE?
0: Uh, as I've talked about on Busted Open, I believe uh, I've been so desensitized to stuff that uh, nothing really shocks me. I mean, we see CEOs of other companies have to step down for similar situations where there's a personal relationship, maybe where somebody you know where people should not be involved or. For whatever reason, but I think because it is Vince McMahon and it affects us so much, we put, we've, you know, we've worked for him. We know him. Uh, Eric has competed against him. It's like, wow, this is shocking, but it does go on every day within, you know, big business. Um, I don't think we've seen the last of Vince. I was, I tried to really look deep into that promo That he cut on SmackDown. One half of me thinks it was a middle finger to everybody going, I'm still going to come out on my show and do what I do, however I want to do it. And I think the other half of me looked at it as Vince said, This might be my last opportunity to ever address a live crowd on television. So I'm going to, so I'm going to do it. And we really have to wait and see. I hope it works out. I despise having to talk about negative shit in pro wrestling. All I want to do is come on the air, put the boys over, talk about great storytelling and great matches and have fun with it. But it seems lately we're just so inundated um, by negative stuff going on and I think at this stage of the game, it affects me more than it ever has.
1: Yeah, and you hit it on the head there, Billy. With the, you know, when you said it's either or, you know, it's either the middle finger or him, you know, saying goodbye. I thought the exact same thing. You know, when I watched it, I watched it a couple times, um, because I want to try to get a feel for Vince, and I, I don't want to pretend like I know Vince. You know, I, I don't. I'm not sure how many people really do, to be honest. But I was trying to read him, and as you know. Vince is really hard to read. But after I watched it a couple times, I thought, you know, maybe he is taking this one last opportunity just in case, because he's not really sure how this is going to end up. And if this is his goodbye, that was a good one.
0: There was a little bit of a different look in his eye, Eric. I agree. In, In my opinion, a little bit of a different look in his eye.
1: I agree. I sense so. the same thing. That's what made me think like you did. Like, yeah. mm. cause he wasn't, it wasn't a fuck you. It wasn't a middle figure. It wasn't, I'll do what I want to do. God damn it. Right. This is my show. It wasn't that at all. It was classy. And when he tagged it with and forever <laughs> that, okay, maybe, maybe this is it. Eric I well, would not, I'm going to say it, you know, be controversial. Of course, who gives a shit, Right this stage of my life, the fucks I have left to give are not capable of being counted. I I, I hope this is a major problem that WWE and Vince McMahon will be able to overcome and move on, however the outcome, whatever the outcome may be.
2: Let's talk about the outcome of the story the other night, Eric, it looks like Brock Lesnar's back and he's in the main event of SummerSlam. They're going back to him and Roman reigns. There was a little bit of backlash online where folks said, oh, we've seen this a thousand times before, but I'm pretty sympathetic to him, Eric. You know, you, you lose one of your top guys and Cody, he's going down with surgery. The rumor is Randy Orton may need surgery. They needed a solution and it's almost like Brock was behind glass and you just break it in case of emergency. What well, say you Eric?
1: Um, I can't wait to see it. I know they've wrestled, what, seven times, whatever it is? Something like Six, that, yeah. Seven, eight, 20, whatever. It doesn't matter. Remember when Brock came back most recently, when it was first announced that Brock was coming back? And I think it was on 83 Weeks. I said, you know, that's not, not doing a thing for me. If he's going to come back, it's the same old Brock. The band killer, the one-dimensional, no promos, go out, eat people, spit them out, go home. He's not going to do a thing for me because we've seen that guy, a lot of him. This is not that guy. No. This Brock Lesnar is a completely different Brock Lesnar in many respects. He's a different character. He's having more fun when he goes out there. He's not relying on Paul. He's cutting a lot of his own promos. He's coming to the ring looking and feeling like the Brock Lesnar that I know. not suggesting I know him real well, but he's a farmer cowboy, goddammit. And he's coming out there with a different vibe. So yes, we've seen the match before, but we haven't seen this character before. So let's, let's see. Let's just wait and see. I'm, I'm not against it. I think, I, I think it's awesome. Look, WWE, they've got a deeper bench than we really realize. Yeah. There's a lot of talent in WWE that given the opportunity and the support and a little bit of time and patience could step in and play big time. And, and, but thank God Brock's there. You know, if I'm running WWE right now, I'm really, really glad Brock is there. And I'm looking forward to it personally.
2: What about you, Bully? Where are you at on Bully and Roman one more time at SummerSlam?
0: Well, if it was Bully and Roman, it would be much better than Brock and <laughs> Roman. Thanks for <laughs> the Fordian slip. <laughs> um, I would love to see them go either even farther in the opposite direction with Brock Lesnar. I would like to see Brock Lesnar humanized for the first time ever. Because I think it would be a, a a considerably different, different aspect of his personality. And we could get one thing on Brock that I don't think anybody has been ever able to get, and that is sympathy. How do you feel sympathetic for Brock Lesnar? Yeah. Well, let's take his very real life situation that he dealt with, his diverticulitis. I would somehow go after that. Now I know diverticulitis is more of a <clears throat> something that goes on within your system you know, like a disease or whatever, but you had to have healed from that. Well, I'd like to see Roman somehow with a with an object or something go after the area that Brock suffered his diverticulitis from, because if there is a weakness to, to Brock, maybe that was it. I'd love to see Brock hospitalized. I'd love to see his children by his side. I'd love to see Sable by his side. I'd like to see Brock Lesnar taken to places where Brock Lesnar has never been taken to. Thus you get taken someplace else with Brock Lesnar you start to feel bad for a beast and i've never felt bad for brock lesnar i just want to see brock lesnar get up and throw somebody yeah if it was ever the right time to humanize brock just a little bit it's now
1: that's just every, that, that's just my opinion every marvel character the big ones the franchises, the ones they keep making movies about over and over and over again those superhuman characters all have a flaw or a weakness or a vulnerability and i agree with bully 100% now you now but it's a big chance right that's a big chance you got to get brock comfortable with revealing that side of him you know can he do it i don't know i don't know brock well enough i've never worked with him but let's just say you could Let's just say everybody's on the same page. They had that garbage can moment at universal studios and everybody just cracked the door open a little bit and said, Oh my God, what could we possibly do with this character? And you sat down and took notes from bully and you found that weakness, whatever it is, whether it was a diverticulitis or whatever it is, something that makes him human and vulnerable. And you see a side of him. I'm repeating what bully said. You see a side of him that we've never seen before. (laughs) New day. Brand new day, brand new calendar, brand new slate. I don't Conrad, care how many times you've seen that match. Now you really want to see that match.
0: I don't care how many times you've seen it, but now you really want to see it. Yeah. Conrad, could you imagine if, if he ever came out? Could, could, could you imagine if we got a returning Brock Lesnar last week with all the pomp and circumstance, pop and circumstance, and the beast just throwing everybody left and right, doing what Brock Lesnar does best. And next Friday, on this Friday, he has to come out and go, Folks, I'm really sorry, but um, I'm sick again. And I wanted to be back here and I know about all the situations that are going on with the WWE and I wanted to come back to help because I love this company and this company gave me my first opportunity, but unfortunately I'm sick again. And for those that don't know, you know, 10 years ago I was very sick and I almost died from it. And I think it might be coming back. And Bring it down, down, down to a level where people like, Well, I've never seen this side of Brock before. And have Brock say goodbye to the WWE universe. And just as Brock is about to go through that curtain, I have Roman assassinate him.
1: And then in his promo. Say again. And then in in Roman's promo, after he assassinated, assassinates him, what does he say? You tell me. He says, you poor son of a bitch. You couldn't come over your physical, you you couldn't overcome your physical disabilities because you're not a champion. I had my own. Didn't slow me down, bitch.
0: There you go. Because Roman can relate to having something really wrong with him because of what Roman had.
1: This is compl- I don't know. No, that may be taking it too far. And I know it's not I think you'd, that's where you'd have a hard time getting Roman to tag in. Cause now he's using his real life scenario for a story. Like he probably wouldn't be interested in doing it, but damn, I love real life. Make it believable.
0: Hey, did you go to geico.com yet? I love real life stuff because everything is so, you know, homogenized these days, or, you know, we've seen it before real life stuff to the forefront from characters we never thought we'd see them from.
1: Can you imagine, though, the political correct woke outcry that would exist in social media if you used real-life situations like that in a contrived storyline? Can you imagine the people that would be weeping and the gnashing of teeth that would be just horrible on social media? Which means it would work. by the way. But I, I, was just, I was waiting for you to <laughs> finish. You go. So you mean it'll work, Eric?
2: <laughs> so well, let's talk about the main event mafia. They come in to work with, uh, aces and eights. And now you're, you're brushing up against some other top guys here. Bully, you got to be tickled to be in there with main event mafia, right?
0: I actually don't remember the aces and eights
2: versus the main event mafia. It didn't last long because not too long after that, you are, are going to drop the belt to Chris Sabin, And a lot of folks were saying that. Man, Saban was uh, one of the best wrestlers in the world for a long time, maybe overlooked, and you gave him an opportunity there uh, to to put the strap on it. The big belt, man. How about that?
0: Eric had to talk me off the ledge on that one. Because <laughs> he was done for all the wrong reasons. Well, let's I talk like about Chris Sabin. I always have liked Chris Saban. Me and Devon against the Motor City Machine Guns. We had such great chemistry with them. Nobody has ever kicked out of the 3D, the Dudley death drop, except Chris Sabin. That's that to me was a big deal. Me and Devon protected our finish for so long that nobody had ever kicked out of it. He did because it was part of me and Devon's story. So all the props in the world to Chris Sabin. double thumbs up, yada, yada, yada. That belt was never supposed to come off of me. It was supposed to stay on me for one year, and I was supposed to drop it to AJ Styles at Bound for Glory the following year. But Chris Sabin had gotten injured, and I don't know how deep Eric wants to go into this. No, I, you're
1: going to have to refresh my memory, brother, because...
0: Sabin got don't. injured, and I don't believe TNA wanted to pay for his surgery. Okay. Look at Conrad salivating over here. He's salivating right now. And oh, I think my. I'll tell the rest of this story on busted open. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well done. Well done. Check out bully on Mondays. and, and Tuesdays. Seriously,
0: I, I went to Eric and I'm like, Eric, this is wrong. It's th- th- this is not right. I'm like, they're not going to pop for him winning. They're going to pop for me losing. We're putting him in a bad spot. He's not going to come out better on the other end of this. And Eric agreed. And I did not want to see Chris Saban fall on his face at that time because of this situation. Eric told me nothing I can do about it. Just go out there and lay down. Okay, no problem. It was it was way above my pay grade. And anybody who tries to tell you a different story is a fucking liar. Any recollection of
1: that one, Eric? Yeah. Yep. And Bully's right. This was this was not a creative decision. This was an office decision, and this is and again, uh, it always sounds like I'm putting heat on Dixie, and I don't mean to, because Dixie didn't get to call the shots. Dixie she wanted people to think she was calling the shots, and in some cases she did, but in many cases she didn't. Bruce could tell you a lot more about the situation than I could.
2: Talk to me about Tito Ortiz bully. He's going to join aces and eights and help you regain the title back from saving a hardcore justice. I think this deal is put together with Bellator. Is that the way you remember that Eric?
1: Yeah. Bellator. I can't bully. Do you remember the guy that ran Bellator before Scott Coker took it over? No, I do not. Uh, I can't remember his name. It was like a French dude or something. Him and Dixie were like, you know, thick as thieves Spike, of course, was very supportive of Bellator, wanted as much co-promotion as they could, and Dixie saw an opportunity, and she wanted to play nice with Spike, as she should have, Yeah, by the way, not a criticism. You want to be a good partner with your television network. Uh, so as a result, uh, that's where it all came from. You know, Spike's desire to cross-promote with TNA. Believe it or not, TNA was, you know, People laugh about TNA to this day, but at, at that time, I think TNA was probably the highest rated show on the spike network during the course of the week. So spike had a, they wanted to use, they wanted to use, you know, TNA to help launch Bellator and support Bellator. That's where it came from.
0: The, the hard part was we had Tito Ortiz on one side. We had, um, um, rampage Jackson on the other side, but they weren't allowed to touch. Yeah. Right. They to Keep these guys away from each other. And, there, there was a time there where I, I do remember saying like, Hey, we're the focal point, not these guys. Can we stop worrying about them so much? They're the, they're the peas and carrots. We're the steak and potatoes, but it seemed like we had to cater to them a little too much. And I liked Tito and I liked Rampage. Okay. Very much. So. I got me and Rampage got the opportunity to work together on an episode of see dad run that Jason Hervey g- got me on with Scott. Bayo. had a blast with him. So, uh, Uh, I thought those guys did well with what they were handed, but it got a little wonky there for, for, for a point.
1: Now now you've got the network. Now you've got Kevin K, whoever this cat was at Ram Bellator at the time and um, Fishman, Scott Fishman and and Dixie. So now you've got four people that aren't really a hundred percent sure they know anything really about MMA and they really don't know much about wrestling, but they're the ones that are kind of calling the shots and, Drawing the lines and making you stay within them. So, there's also
2: some dissension when uh, DOC and Anderson start uh, disagreeing on some things. And before the storyline really resolves, uh, Gallo's contract is up and he's out of here. And I think not too long after this is when Devon loses a fall to AJ Styles when it's aces and eights versus main event mafia. And the loser of the fall must leave the company. Is this when some of the money problems started to
1: creep in, Eric? God, I'd have to go back. I have to think about that. What year was this? Do you know? Uh,
2: 2012
1: and 13. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. By then, it was a no, the checks are in the mail kind of thing. Well, you've heard that one before. But there was a lot of TNA. There was a lot he, of people in TNA. He never oh, bounced
0: the check on me.
1: There, was, it, it, there were a lot of people in TNA especially the, you know, the lesser paid talent were the ones that suffered the most, but yeah, if you guys can carry on for a second, I'm going to step out. I'll be right back. Almost so coffee's killing me.
2: Bully, you started to spend a lot of time with Brooke and re- not really concentrating on club matters. And it comes to a head. Wes Briscoe is going to stand up to you. You throw him out of the group. Um, or do you think at this point, man, the, the wheels are starting to run off this thing, or did you still think there was some
0: life in there? No, I always believed in the story. Um, I, I I started to worry once Eric was gone. Yeah, because I knew this was Eric's baby. This was Jason's baby, um, and now we had new a new head of creative, a head of creative in um, John Gaborick big, and just wasn't his, and wasn't his vision. And I held on, you know, uh, as long as I could to make sure that the vision was followed through. We had to cut and paste. We had to do the, the best that we could, but we had already, you know, the, the lightning that we had caught in the bottle was starting to dissipate for whatever reason. You said, you know, financial reasons or creative reasons. But, you know, then I went into this different direction with the bully character. You know, I, after I lost the championship to AJ Styles, they wanted me to turn into we want you to be very dark is what yes. they said. And I said, OK. Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? What did you come up with for this character? Like Eric had come up with something for the character of Bully Ray. What do you have in mind for the character of Bully Ray? And they didn't know. Just be dark. Okay. So I go out there one night, right, Conrad? And I cut a promo on the stage. I had, I had, I Ken Anderson was on the stage and he's in the spotlight. And I come up from behind, him, I blast him in the back of the head. I lay him out. And I take his mic- microphone and I said, "In the beginning, good always overpowered the evils of all man's sin. But in time, the nations grew weak and our cities fell to scum as evil stood strong. In the dust of hell lurked the blackest of eight For he who his fear awaits you." Now, many lifetimes later, lay destroyed, beaten down, only corpses of rebels, ashes of dreams, and blood-stained streets. It has been written that those who have the youth have the future. So come now, children of the beast, be strong and shout at the devil. Everybody was like, oh my God, that was amazing. Did you write that? I go, no, that's the introduction to Motley Crue. Shout at the <laughs> devil. I just memorized
1: it word for word. Oh, that was awesome.
2: Here's a question from Conrad in Huntsville. He wants to know how do you save money? Ah, you bundle your policies, both home and auto, at Geico.com. Duh.
0: <laughs> they, they didn't know what dark bully was supposed to be, so I just came up with shit off the top of my head. And this is where the dire- this is where the direction, you know, started to dis then it, you know, then it just was left up to me and Ken and they wanted to do this thing in the in the funeral home, and then they wanted to have a coffin match and a last man standing. And, and that's why I gave credit to Ken, because I can't go out there and do it myself. I, you always need somebody standing across from you. And if I didn't have Ken with me, I couldn't have milked it as long as I had, because I no longer had Hulk. I no longer had Sting. Eric was gone. Jason was gone. So it was just me and Ken trying to hold on to what was built already and see how much more we could get out of it.
2: Eric, you, uh, you've talked a lot on the show here about how you wish that you could have had a proper ending for the NWO, What would a proper ending of aces and eights been, had you been able to stick around TNA and finish it up?
1: Oh, I, it would have had to been Hulk and bully. It would have had to been raise the stakes after everything that went, to, went down with, with, with Brooke and bully. And once it was obvious what bully really was, um, similar to the way Bully laid out Brock, you know, kind of going out the door, broken, beaten, overcome. It's kind of what Bully did to Hulk psychologically, right? And then to have something, some inciting moment that brought Hulk back, even though everybody knew, including him, he shouldn't ever step into that ring again and somehow muster five minutes to take a fucking ass kicking, but come out on top, even if it's ugly, that would have been beautiful. That would have been a great ending.
0: It was the only ending that would have made sense. Big boot, leg drop,
1: one, two, three. Yep. And, And as corny in some respects as that would have been, the audience would have loved it. They would have loved it. Especially if, can you imagine, big leg drop, let Hulk get a couple in, let him get a couple in, and then have to carry him out of the ring while you're laying there in a puddle. And and Brooke and Sting would be the ones carrying him out of the ring. Oh, my it, God. See, that makes me, I'm, I'm starting to get tears in my, I'm getting weepy. And show bumps, all at the same time. Magic magic can still happen, folks. It's still possible. Imagine if we had a pencil in our hand there. Oh, my God. We'd be
2: dangerous. (laughs) PWI recognized this as the feud of the year for 2012 between aces and eights and TNA, but the readers of the Wrestling Observer voted it the worst (laughs) gimmick for 2012 and for 2013.
0: Shut up, Conrad. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up.
2: (laughs) I knew that would make you laugh. Hey, go to Geico.com. It on uh bully what are your your final words on aces and eights and we can't thank you enough for jumping on the program with us by the way you can hear bully on busted open uh, every monday tuesday and saturday uh it's a great listen obviously he is never short on an opinion and that's why we love listening to his opinions but give us some final words on aces and eights mr bully ray
0: I loved it, and I and I every opportunity I get, I thank Eric for handing me the ball and allowing me to do something in the wrestling business that I never thought I'd be able to do. Um, I thank Eric, thank Eric for believing in me, seeing the talent in me. Uh, allowing me to be me. Um, there, there are a couple of people that I met in this business who I was told I would never get along with. And one was Eric Bischoff. And the first time me, and Eric saw each other, we hit it off. It was at the Marriott hotel in, in, Pittsburgh. Uh, in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Philadelphia airport Marriott. And he's like, Hey, have you ever tried Patron silver? And I said, no. And uh, I had a shot. I was standing right there, right off of the live shot when Eric crashed uh, Booker's shot when he debuted on, uh, right, on Raw. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I remember speaking with Eric after that, then we saw each other at the Marriott. We did a shot together. And from that point forward, we had become friendly and we got along and then we were able to become um, good coworkers. And I enjoyed watching Eric... um, run meetings at TNA. And one of the things that I truly appreciated about Eric is he gave, everybody had a voice in the room. Like he would let everybody talk. He listened to other people. Um, You know, Hulk would talk, but so would Dave Hebner and Dixie would talk, but so would Taz. And everybody was able to give an opinion. Eric took everything in, he thought about it, and then he made his final decision. It wasn't like, well, this is just it's either my way or the highway. So on many different levels, except for his brutally awful idea of having a no holds barred match, it means Sting had a save for him, him
1: <laughs> always enjoy working with him. And thank you, Eric. Oh man, it's, it's, it's great to have you on here. And, and when you, you know, you bring back memories and the one thing I'll say about bullying, it's one of the things I miss, you know, one of the few things, one of the, very few things I miss about being in the business is that when you get a room full of people that you really trust creatively and and trust as human beings, and you know, everybody's pushing for the best idea and you can get in a room and you can take an idea, you can take a bad idea and you can turn it into a great idea, or you can take an average idea and turn it into a good idea. That process of shaping and, and developing ideas with the right people in the room is the one thing that I miss and bullies, a a big reason why I miss it. Thanks.
2: Well, well, this was awesome guys. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll be back next week. Talking about, uh, the nitro 25th anniversary of that legendary run of 1997, we'll finish it up with June 30th, 1997. You're in Las Vegas. It's going to be a big show. The former Mr. Perfect makes his debut and Lots more other stuff, but Eric, this was a fun episode today, man, especially since yesterday. Can't believe it. The 20 year anniversary of TNA. Uh, I don't know what to say, Eric. I didn't think this day would come, but it did.
1: Well, I don't know about you guys, but when this show's over, I'm going to go in and have a big bottle of red wine. on behalf of Dixie. let think about Dixie and a glass of red wine. <laughs> I love the sound of <laughs> that. Thank you guys. Thank you bully very much, man. I appreciate you sitting in with us. Thanks guys. Conrad, maybe we should do this again. Just me and you. I'm for it.
2: I would love to argue with you. Let's just make it happen on a regular basis. I'm for well, it. I'm, you need to pull the
0: trigger because I think you're afraid of me. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you, I think you, you, you're able to ha- and handle Eric me. I don't think you could corral any day of the week.
2: Uh, well, as everybody listening to this is Monday, tune in Bust busted open Tuesday morning and you never know what might happen. We'll see you then. See <laughs> hey you guys.
0: Thank you.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,